I had these like grand plans for my 40th birthday. And after going through that, there was, it was, it was not only not wanting to wait until my 40th birthday to enact these wonderful plans. There were so many areas of my life that I thought, why am I waiting to do this? Why not just do it? to the Empower From Within podcast presented to you by Trezal. I'm your host, Jessica West, founder of Trezal, creative entrepreneur and author. Every week on the show, I share an empowering message or interview an incredible individual to help you discover the limitless power you have within yourself to reach for your greatest desires and create the life that's truly worth living on your terms. Self-empowerment begins now. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Ari Shapiro. He's a registered social worker who brings almost 20 years of experience to his private psychotherapy practice called In Tune Counseling. He's been an international guest panelist and presenter at many workshops and conferences, and he's written a number of articles and blog posts bringing a down-to-earth and relatable approach to the field of mental health. He also hosts the podcast, Who's Your Therapist, which is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other podcast platforms. In 2015, he experienced a brain injury, which in spite of its ongoing challenges, continues to fuel his passion to help others navigate their healing journeys, particularly around the aspects of grief, loss, and identity. Ari and I actually met because of our shared experience with brain injury, and we've written an article together that shares practical tools to help others in navigating their own healing journey. The article is in its final stages before release right now, so keep an eye out for it, and I'll be sharing more details about it with you soon. In his spare time, Ari is a musician and composer, and he can be found performing improv comedy around the GTA. He's really such a great all-around person, and I'm so excited for you to hear from him firsthand. So without any further ado, here's Ari. Hello, Ari, and welcome to the Empower From Within podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today and really so excited for our conversation um, to hear your point of view and your expertise, both being a brain injury survivor, but also as your position being a social worker and clinical therapist. I think you're going to have so much value to share with all of us. But before we get into it, as I like to start every single podcast, can you share your story with us? And maybe what got you interested in pursuing a career in social work? Yeah, thank you. Well, it's it's great to be on your show. And um, yeah, happy to do it. Uh, you know, when I think about that question, the what first comes to my mind is uh, I, I go back to high school. And I, I can, I have this, this, kind of fuzzy recollection it, it's a recollection it's I mean, you know how over time sometimes the memory like details get a little blurry and then you think that's actually what happened but it, it wasn't but right exactly I, 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 I think it's pretty close I have this this memory of me um, standing outside the front of the school the way people would and people would just kind of congregate and talk and I might have been 16 or 17 standing out there like smoking a cigarette and people would just be coming up to me to tell me their problems. Wow. And and it started with, you know, people I knew. And then it became also to include people that I 
new but not as well. And then eventually there would be like this small kind of like cluster of people around me. Some of them I didn't know at all, but I had a, I, what I can only surmise was a bit of a reputation as like a guy that, that you can talk to about stuff that's going on in your life. And it was just, it would just be completely informal like that. Um, which was, which I really liked. It was good. I, I much preferred that reputation. I think I was starting to get a bit of a reputation like prior to that in my high school career as like the guy that like didn't go to classes and like forged, you know, signatures to like get out of doing things. So this is a much better reputation to have. Um, also at that point in my life, I had been to a social worker, right? Or I'd been to a therapist myself a number of times. So I knew what it was. So at that point, when you're getting close to thinking about, okay, what do I want to do post high school? Um, I was definitely, I was equipped with the, the frame of reference to know what the profession was and what it was called. And also I, an inkling that I could actually be good at this and that I enjoyed it, which Thank goodness I found that out because otherwise, you know, I, I have this background in music, but it scared the crap out of me at the thought of having to do that for a living and then kind of sucking all the joy out of it. So it was like, oh, great. Well, I already know I like this. So yeah, I'm going to do this. It's like your natural born talent. It just kind of showed up for you. That's amazing. And to be well, able to really... Go ahead. <laughs> no, it, it's, it, it, I didn't mean to cut you off. It, it's, yeah, it, it's one of those things. And as I've gotten older and as I've come to understand myself more and appreciate certain qualities, um, I, I, I can see um, why I kind of slide into this, into this role, into this job fairly easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. at 17 to be able to really recognize that too, and already starting to see that like, Hey, a lot of people are approaching me to help them. I mean, that's such a great awareness and really jumped you into something that you were naturally good at. And you're just kind of following, yeah. following that calling. And uh, with your music, I mean, I, you do put in some of your, your music and kind of that comedy theme, I believe in you're in what you're doing um, and in your work and you can see it on your website in tune counseling and all of that. And so I think you just took everything and pieced it together so beautifully. Well, thank you. Well, yeah, definitely for some of these endeavors, like uh, the podcast that, that I, I would host still do kind of. And then, um, yeah, this, this promo video that I made for my, my counseling services, it, it gave me the opportunity to like get to write the music that I wanted to use for it and then arrange it and record it and produce it. And so it's, it's kind of fun where these, you know, opportunities for these worlds to collide a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And, and definitely humor. And, uh, and I get to use that a lot in sessions, not as much with the music part, but, um, and, and just kind of, improving stories that's one of my favorite things to do with kids is is uh 
is kind of writing these improv stories that I get to document and they're insane. They make no sense. And yet they're so wonderful and so filled with like relatable aspects that, that can become a really cool and like easy way in to talk about some things that are going on in people's lives, especially mm -hmm. right when you get to talk about it initially from like a third person point of view, like, Oh, this is what the character is going through. Not me. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it allows you to disassociate with whatever is going on, whether it be symptoms or pain that you're feeling by putting that as like another little character and let's make a story about this person. It really allows you to look at what is happening in your experience. And I think that helps um, probably cope and overcome that much better. And I think there's a way of, you know, when you approach people with humor, it brings instant comfort to people. And I don't know if you're in your experience, I'm only assuming here that it almost allows people to become comfortable and open up and be so much more vulnerable with you when they know that like, you know, they can have fun with this, with this person and with their counselor. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's, I, I forget how I worded it now. Um, I, I put this in a in an, an article that I published on my website, but it, it was about the use of humor in therapy. And one of, you know, the I wouldn't say my mentor, because I don't know him on a personal level that well, but but a, a fellow that that I really look up to as a therapist, his name is David Epstein. Um, had a way of putting it, and I'm not going to be able to quote him, so this is not going to be verbatim, but it was more or less the, the notion that when when people are bringing problems to the counseling experience, to the therapy room, that for all intents and purposes feel so serious. I think he might have even used the word, some of these problems feel can feel deadly serious. Um and I, I can't remember exactly how he put it, but the notion was if we on the other end show up and meet this deadly serious problem with our with only a level of seriousness, um, are we not just then compounding the weight and compounding the level of severity versus it, it is it not maybe considered a bit of a an antidote to countering some of the, the 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 heaviness of the problem to meet it with a different kind of language or with a different kind of lens. Mm. Not mm -hmm. saying this is as as succinctly or, or as, no, as but eloquently, but uh, he's kind of like a poet the way he speaks. Yeah, well, I love it. The way that I interpret it is just letting go of the re resistance when you approach something with that amount of seriousness. You have a lot of resistance to it. And you can't let go of anything when you're holding that amount of resistance. So if you look at it a little more lightheartedly, add some humor and you add kind of that flow, you allow it to like detach from your experience a little better. Uh, mm. We can't do anything when we're in a state of resistance. We're kind of just stuck there. So yes. Yeah. I, I, I can relate. By the way, you know, Jessica, you, you asked me how I found my way to this profession. And, mm -hmm. and one of the things that only recently in my life I've, I've started to understand more is um, uh, uh, the author uh, Elaine Aaron. She wrote a, she published a book a while ago called The Highly Sensitive Person. 
And I started reading it and I'm going, wow, this is me. This is so me. And, and it, it just, it provided a language and a framework for, for aspects of myself that I um, thought about and, and kind of was aware of, but didn't really have anything to ground it in. So it always seemed kind of out everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. And, and, uh, and some of the things I most relate to it were th these, th this notion that um, some people's, I, I think it's, it, it's the nervous system is just, it's, it's dialed in to such a, a frequency that, um, that we're often experiencing things with our senses um, much more acutely than the average person. And what is more, I, I've always noticed this, that um, I, I have this, I, I can, I'm also usually very dialed into people's uh, emotion and emotional energy that can resonate. And, and I, I don't mean to make this seem like, like it's not a supernatural thing. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like, I, I can't, I can't really explain it that well, other than there's some days I'll finish work come downstairs to the living room and sit down beside my partner and just get like hit by this wave of like sensation or feeling. And I'll just go, Hey, I'm starting to feel like this, this, this right now. Is there any chance this is what you're going through? And it's like, yes, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I'm sitting here feeling. And, and so I think some of those things, in, especially early on, as I'm, I was figuring out this profession and my path towards this profession, it just helped me to be more empathetic and more dialed into what people are feeling and experiencing. And I think that there's a good reason why I'm in this profession. Absolutely. That is so beautiful. And yeah, I mean, I say on the podcast all the time too, everything is energy. And I love mm -hmm. that you you shared that experience with us because I would really love to be able to normalize this talk that like, yes, it's real and we can tap into that energy. And, you know, there's so much, there's so much that we pick up on an energetic level that we're not actually consciously aware of. And right. I think you sharing that book and sharing that, you know, you're starting to piece it together and see like, wow, yes, this really was a great career for me. And it really, to me, it stresses the point that, the learning never stops. And you're, there's always something more to discover about yourself. And we're never going to get to a point where like, done deal, packaged it up. Like I'm finished. Like there's always more learning to do. Uh, and that just makes it so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And we're always going to be discovering more about ourselves. Absolutely. I'm wondering if you can share with us your experience with your uh, brain injury and maybe can you share with us, do you feel that it has helped you in your profession? Yeah, I want to think about th that that last part, that last part of the question. Has it helped me in my profession? Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I think it, it certainly helped me to be able to relate more to a segment of the population that is often very, um, can be very misunderstood and very isolated because there's not a lot of people that share that lived experience. So I love that I can do that. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, what was the first part of your question? I'm yeah, focusing maybe. on the last part a lot. 
No problem. Yeah. Maybe if you could just share with us and all the listeners, like what exactly had happened and what was that, that experience like for you? So yeah, no problem. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to tell this succinctly. I've, I've gotten to talk about it a number of times, so uh, I'll do my best. It's been a while though. So um, I was in Japan on vacation when, when things went sideways and uh up until that point, uh, for a few weeks, I was I was having some headaches, um, but couldn't quite put my finger on what was going on. Um, I knew something. I knew something was up, and uh, the the details of this are not as important. But um, several months prior to going to Japan, I knew that there was some sort of mass in my brain that had been detected on a scan. And after many consultations, it was deemed that although nobody knew for certain what it was, uh, likely in its own time, it would just go away and it would just reassimilate and, and it would it, nothing to be concerned with. And I happened to leave one of these consultations, thankfully, as I was half out the door asking, so what happens if it doesn't get better. What happens if it gets worse? And they said, well, you'll know it gets worse because you won't be able to walk anymore. And so with that information kind of filed away, a number of months later, I went to Japan with these headaches going on and I'm going, I wonder if it has anything to do with that. There were doctors that assured me it didn't have anything to do with that and uh, it would just resolve itself. And within about 24 hours of being in Japan, I suddenly lost the ability to walk. And at that point, I started getting really freaked out. Mm -hmm. And uh, and thankfully, I was with my brother, and, and he helped, like, carry me back to, like, the place we were staying in. And there was other kind of crazy details. Like, we happened to be in, we were in Tokyo, and we happened to be there over this weekend of like this, this country-wide religious holiday, which meant um, hospitals were either closed or like bare, bare bone staff. And so, you know, the, the next day, the first hospital I went to, they actually turned me away because they were closing. Uh, the second one we went to, if you can imagine pulling up to the ER department and walking through the doors and no one's there and the lights are off but the doors are open. So we're like wandering in and um, forget if I, I, I found a wheelchair at that point that made getting around much easier, but um, it was weird. It was spooky. It was like a ghost town until we finally did see somebody. And, um, and so that was the thing. And, and yes, they found this, this mass had gotten, not smaller, but in fact, way bigger um, to the point that my understanding was um, just the, the, the size of the mass itself had caused a whole bunch of damage to that, that portion of my brain, as well as kind of pushed the brain out of alignment. So which meant that the ventricles were just building up and building up and building up with fluid and wasn't able to drain, which I didn't know exactly what that meant. I just knew that that didn't sound good. And so the doctor there advised me because um, 
she was, I think she was an orthopedic surgeon. She said, look, you can stay here in the hospital, but you won't be able to see a neurologist for at least two or three days. And then you'll probably just be here for a month and we'll like yada, yada, yada. If you can get on a plane and go right home immediately and go right to the hospital. And so thankfully that's what I did. Um, which was terrifying because I didn't know how severe or how dire the situation was. Um, I didn't know if I would be dead on the plane before we even landed. Right. Um, so and did it was they a say, did, yeah. did the uh, altitude that you were flying, did that have anything to do with it? Uh, no, not that, that I know of. They didn't seem concerned. And, and oh, I even okay. from Japan, I phoned uh, a, a family member of mine who's also a doctor and who gave the green light as well. And funny enough, you know, when I was talking about the the, the pain and, and like headache that I was experiencing beforehand, on the flight to Japan and on the way home was actually the only times I experienced some relief from the pain. So something to do with the altitude and the pressure uh, up, at, at, up at that height actually relieved some of the pain. Wow, that's interesting. I, I don't know about the landing, you know, if that, that might have kind of made it worse or not. But um, it was, a, I'll just say it was a really interesting experience getting getting home. Because, yes, there was that part of me every step of the way that, that didn't know if I was going to make it. And what I noticed about that, you know, prior to that, I, I, I'd heard people talk about going into survival mode or being in survival mode. I didn't quite know what that meant. And the way I experienced it was um, there's just a, a set of protocol and, and steps that need to be taken in order to get home. And what I noticed as a very sensitive, tuned in guy, I was, I was not experiencing any emotion. There was no fear. There was no nervousness. There was... There was the reality that, like, yes, this could go really bad. But it was an interesting opportunity to experience how in that situation, emotion, I think, would have just hindered it. And it would have hindered my successfulness of getting from point A to point B. And so there was, there was literally no emotion. It, it was just like pragmatism. And this is what needs to happen. And, and this is what we're going to do. And okay. And it was only once we landed safely and I was being wheeled down like, you know, the ramp in the airport and my sister was there to meet us. And she kind of came up the ramp towards me and started crying that my first thought was like, oh, do I look that bad? But then it was like, then I guess it felt safe enough for the emotion to come back online. And so she was crying. I started crying and, and we, you know, off we went to the hospital. Wow. That's, yeah. <laughs> I don't even have the words to say <laughs> like that just sounds so incredibly emotional, even though you didn't have those emotions during that time. It's actually, it's fascinating how mm -hmm. it happened that way. Um, that's just incredible. So can you tell us what happened next? So, oh, and, and you know, there's, there's fun parts of the trip back home too. Like 
are we even, am I even going to be allowed on the plane? I didn't know. So in my mind, I was like, I got to fake that everything's okay. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like the night before, because I, I couldn't walk. So like my brother basically like took me into the washroom, raked me over the side of a tub and just like hosed me down. So at least when we went to the airport, I could present to someone who was like clean and put together. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we went through security in a wheelchair and, and thankfully they just treated me like someone who naturally would have always been in a wheelchair. And uh, so it was like, <laughs> he got through that part. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so got home, got to the hospital, um, got into surgery, probably a couple days later. I, uh, I, my understanding was there were people coming in through Emerge that were in even more dire a situation than I was. So I got bumped okay. a couple times. Uh, but eventually uh, I went in under the knife and everything everything was a success. And here's like my level of naivety. I was thinking, oh, so now everything's just going to go back to normal. Mm -hmm. And uh, that certainly wasn't the case. Um, you know, I, I got home and uh, I, I think I, I had someone with me. I was so fortunate that... Um, so many of my, my friends and family members were able to support me in this way. But for for the first month, I had someone with me 24-7 because, um, yeah, I needed help, um, you know, feeding myself. I needed help bathing myself. And, and, uh, and eventually, these things came back online. But... Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, ex this is going to sound crazy, but it was exciting. Mm -hmm. it, it was exciting because um, much like you talked about in your first podcast episode, as much as it was like crazy what was going on, there was a part of me that was just calm and knew that everything was going to be okay. Even mm -hmm. if even if it didn't ever get back on, you know, track, or even if things didn't get back to a place that resembled how life was before, it was just, I, I, I knew it was going to be okay. It was, it was never going to stay exactly like this. And even if it didn't go exactly the way, you know, it used to, it was still going to be fine. And so, um, that really, I don't know, that that allowed me to just approach everything that was going on with like this attitude of this part of the recovery is kind of like a once in a lifetime experience. So let me kind of just lean into this. And, and there was something kind of lovely about it. There was something lovely about, you know, grabbing my my walker that I, I eventually used to get around and, you know, going out into the parking lot of my condo and, you know, making it maybe like 15 steps and then having to sit down and then go back home. And then I'd be like exhausted and like sleep for the rest of the day. But even just something about that was like fun and beautiful and exciting and, you know, mm -hmm. but, you're, you're, you're not yes. in your head a lot. I am. Yeah. Because it's like exactly like my thought too, of like, you know, this one experience 
it's never going to come around again. So like, can mm. I relish and take in as much as I can from this one experience? Um, and then you get to a point where, you know, even just you talking about going out with your walker for a little bit. I remember there was one time when um, I was trying to see if I was able to walk around in my crutches. And so I had walked on a crosswalk and it was almost like so exciting because it was like a race. Can I beat the light? Can I make it? I didn't end up making it. <laughs> so they told me don't cross the streets for a little bit, but it was still so exciting. And then he was like, okay, I'm going to work harder and then I'll be able to get it next time. And so it was kind of like embracing it as something almost fun, but like, it's not fun, but still fun in the sense of like, I'm never going to experience this again. And knowing that everything is going to be okay. I feel yeah. like that mindset really triggered me from like me being in my coma and having my near death. And I'm almost wondering if I'm almost so curious of what the moment was like for you, because I mean, flying from Japan to where you are in Ontario, that's yeah. a long flight. Is it not? And so not it's having a really long flight and wondering, am I going to even make it? Like what that message is brought up so much of like, wow, this one life, this one experience and, you know, everything I believe is going to be okay, even after this physical experience. And when you have that knowing, then you're like, well, everything that I'm witnessing here and experiencing is just a bonus to, you know, the infinite life that I have. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's my thought about it. <laughs> well, well there, there's definitely this this appreciation for the present moment, mm -hmm. right? And and you know when when this went down for me, I was 35, and and I remember I had these like grand plans for my 40th birthday, and after going through that, there was it was it was not only you know not wanting to wait until my 40th birthday to enact these wonderful plans. There were so many areas of my life that I thought, why am I waiting to do this? Why not just do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so good. And, yeah. I mean, I think that's relevant to all of us, right? We keep, oh, I'll do this this year, this year, or next year, next year. And then it just keeps rolling over, rolling over, rolling over. And when you have an experience like this, tomorrow isn't guaranteed. And we become so much more like hone in and aware of that, that mm -hmm. truth, basically, for all of us, because we really do never know. Yeah. And so just incredible. Um, so are you feeling like I'm going to go back to the, the, the second part to that question? If you feel like having this awareness, does it help you in your practice, maybe relate with with some of your clients or um, maybe just be able to 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 share like your knowledge? Like, has that experience brought you anything that you feel like you can share and help your clients that much more. I mean, yes. Excuse me. On on one on one hand, yes, because I, I yeah, I I've been equipped with like this this life experience now. Um, that yeah, like being in the hospital, and and not knowing if I was going to make it through the procedure. I'll get to your question in a second. There was this moment where I I, I asked myself, um, if I died tomorrow, would I be at peace with the way I lived my life? And would I be happy with the way I lived my life? And I kind of asked myself that question and my my 
my frame of reference was like movies, I think. And I figured, well, I think most of the times I've seen that this kind of a scene in a movie, people find a way to come to peace with things. And, and it, so I figured that's exactly what would happen for me. And then the reality was it didn't. I asked myself that question and my answer was, no, actually, not really. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, getting through this experience, I had all this kind of knowledge and, and wisdom from having gone through this and confronting some of these existential questions that, yes, in, in different circumstances, it became so hard not to just want to impart all this like knowledge upon people and I had to remind myself that that doesn't always feel good and and that's not always why people are there and and you know I've always made it a big part of my practice to prioritize what's meaningful to the individual way more than what I think is meaningful mm -hmm. or, or what mm -hmm. I think you know we should be talking about or this is how we should spend the time that that's a terrible recipe mm -hmm. <laughs> for for you know for providing a good experience or a meaningful experience for someone so there was times yeah i really especially in cases where i thought there was more of a, a connect or more of a relationship to this kind of brain injury experience or chronic pain or chronic illness experience i really had to have these conversations with myself to know, okay, how much of this is me like just imparting something that that is that is really important to part to impart versus how much of, of it is me just getting excited and carried away with like sharing one, sharing my own experience and having someone else that can relate to it. Because there is definitely a part of that in the beginning. And how much of this am I, am I just kind of like overstepping these kind of, you know, in, intruding a little bit? So, yeah, it, it's kind of a mixed bag, my answer to your question. It, mm -hmm. it definitely mm -hmm. gave me this frame of reference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're bringing up amazing and excellent points too, because I, I can relate in feeling so excited with like this new profound knowledge that, you know, we feel we have acquired and, oh my God, you just want to share it with everybody. But there is definitely um, a way to do it. And like you said, not everybody is there. That's not everybody's um, challenge. That's not their frame of mind. That's not their way of thinking. And that's not what they need to hear. And so really being able to gauge and judge like, and being there to be of service for that person instead of just sharing the truths that you know, which, um, you know, I feel like some of these profound moments that we have, we can't even explain it in words enough to be able to project this feeling or this new awareness onto people, right? It's just something that cannot be, be explained. It needs to be kind of firsthand experience to truly understand what it is. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like trying to explain meditation to someone. And at the end of the day, you got to just do it mm -hmm. Yeah. To, to feel what it's actually like. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So can you share with us in your practice, what is one of the most common problems that you feel that people are facing today? Common thing that people feel that they're facing. 
You would think I wouldn't be so stumped from this question because you, you gave me something to like think about ahead of time. And, you know, I, 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 I mentioned to you, there's this, and it kind of relates to the last part too. Like often people don't want to be told what to do. <laughs> so, you know, some people will, will straight up want to know my story. And, and if they want to know about it, then I'll, I'll share it with them and it might be a bit meaningful. Um, yeah, otherwise, I think if it was me in their shoes, I would be like, like, shut up. This is like too much information <laughs> and too overwhelming. I don't know what to do with this. And can we get back to me now? Mm -hmm, <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's kind of a, a part of the question, right? Cause I, I've experienced that my whole career is, is some people actually do come in wanting me to tell them what to do. And I find even those people don't want to be told what to do <laughs> because I think that there's, there's often some level of us that when we're told what to do, that while part of us wants to be open to receive the information, there's another part of us that almost wants to prove the other person wrong. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. There's like this kind of uh multi kind of fasted thing that's happening so i don't know i usually think if someone wants to be told what to do they don't they can you know google's really great for that they don't need to spend the money to see a therapist <laughs> so you know i i my work is a bit different in, in trying to facilitate conversations that hopefully lead people to to coming to some of these revelations and 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 um getting in touch with these parts of their lives organically because um, ultimately that's where it's going to be most meaningful. The other part I thought of answering your question by saying is um, it made me think of this resource that I developed and um, I, I, you can, you can <laughs> bleep this out if it's too vulgar, but it, it's something that I called the asshole project. And um, it's a very tongue-in-cheek, it's a 10-step guide uh, on how to be an asshole to yourself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was looking it over last night because it made me think of it as I was thinking about this question. And um, number four on the list is something that, that I think most people really strongly relate to. And I can read you what number four is, if you'd like. Yeah, if you can, please. I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> so this of, of this 10-step guide of how to be an asshole to yourself. So number four is whatever you're experiencing, whether it's stress, anxiety, depression, think about how you shouldn't be feeling this way and then obsess over the fact that you are. And I think this is one of the biggest things that people relate to and experience. This idea that whatever suffering is being caused from what they're going through or whatever challenge, the, the, the amount of suffering really comes and intensifies and gets compounded by the way that they're, they're relating to that experience, which a lot of the time is through this, this kind of identifying with it as this is not what I should be feeling. This is not what I should be thinking. And, uh, and 
because I am, therefore, says something even worse about me than what I'm going through. And I, I think that's a big thing that I see a lot with people. Mm -hmm. Heck, I, I got to be mindful not to do it in my personal life. Right. Yeah, I feel like this relates back to what we were talking about earlier and resistance, having the resistance yes. to, you know, what you think you should be and what you're doing. And again, the resistance, you're in a space that nothing could happen. <laughs> you're just there and you're not allowing. Uh, yeah. Super powerful. So where can people find this article? <laughs> It's actually, uh, it's, it's not online. It's not anywhere. Okay. It's, it's just, it's a resource that I have. I can make, I, I was thinking of maybe making it accessible for people uh, up until this point. It's just been a resource that I have that I, I give to my clients if, if it seems appropriate. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, it might be something that could be nice to have available, available for people. You know, you mentioned humor at the beginning. This, this was definitely something that was, was birthed out of humor and, and a bit of like contempt for like authority. You know, I, there, there's certain parts of me that like I'm a big rule follower. And then there's definitely this other part of me that, that has this, this, this contempt for like authoritative ways of doing things or like just kind of these trendy, like mindless ways of doing things. There's a part of me that always wants to go contrary to that, which which I think is great as a therapist. Um, it, it means that I get to take a stance with people where I'm not locked into this, this persona of being the expert, which is, is usually crap. It's it's usually a crappy position for therapists to be in, um, and and that's that's been researched and documented, right? This mm -hmm. the uh, I I think the, the name of the study that was published is called "Love Yourself as a Person, Doubt Yourself as a Therapist," and uh, it, it, it's a beautiful study, and I love the name. Uh, anyways, sorry, before I go on into a tangent, so th this, this resource that I developed came totally out of, you know, just seeing uh, on social media, just post after post after post from all these different therapists wanting to generate content on their social media platform. That was just like inspirational message after inspirational message. And I would just see this. And my at one point, my feed was just bombarded by this. And I would just go like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, just, it's just, there was something about it that just felt like, well, if, if you're trying to get people to pay attention to you, doing the same thing that everyone else is doing is not the way to do it. And mm -hmm. so one day I just kind of had enough and, it was just kind of like part indignation and part comedy that I just kind of took a whole list of these like generic inspirational like phrases and quotes that these therapists were posting. And I just decided to like write the opposite of it. So, you know, what would be like the, the negative way of saying this? And so that's, right. that's, where I birthed the how to be an asshole to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. And it's, 
it's a different way of talking to people. And I think, you know, I mean, we know kind of those keywords like get people's attention. Um, so mm-hmm. that's great. And it's, it's witty. I think people could really relate to it. And you have a few articles on your website too. I think the last one was, what is it? Three ways to get depressed or something like that? Well, well the, the, yeah, the most recent one is is actually very similar. It's it's uh, how to get PTSD in 12 easy steps. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. So I'm wondering, let's go back to the number four that you were just explaining about. Okay. And what are ways that people could, you know, start doing today to start maybe liberating themselves from that? Right. What was number four again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever you're experiencing, whether it's stress, anxiety, depression, think about how you shouldn't be feeling that way and then obsess over the fact that you are. You know, um, who was it that told this story? I'm trying to think who it was. There was this, this a celebrity that told the story, and it was a story on, on a movie set. And Jeff Bridges, the actor, was talking about anxiety. And he said, you know, in, in only the way that he can do it, the way that he speaks is so iconic, that, you know, anxiety is your friend, man. Like, you just got to, like, buddy up to it. You got to just, like, put your arm around it and bring it in close and just buddy up to it. And something about those words always stuck with me um, because none of these things are our adversary. Right at, at its most basic level, anxiety is is our our fear response, and our fear response is there to keep us safe. And depression is oftentimes also our biological way of of saying, "Hey, you need to pay attention to something in your life." So none of these things are are inherently um, weaponized or things that we need to treat as adversaries and and yeah if we considered a little bit more the relationship and and how we're engaging with these things i i think that can really transform our experience of these things as well and also create space that we can then maneuver you know in different areas of our life that that feel more conducive to how we want to be showing up Right. Another aspect of that is is just is approaching some of these things with curiosity and wonder. It, it really it really can take some of the sting out of the oh my gosh this is how I'm feeling when we can go huh this is how I'm feeling isn't that interesting? That's so good. And I think that's so important to have that understanding that, you know, the symptoms that we have, they're just really trying to let us know about something, let us know about an imbalance, let us know that something's not going right within us. Um, And that it's really not identifying as that, but almost looking at it like you're building a relationship with your body and your body is trying to let you know about something. Um, And then, yeah, and then looking at it with curiosity. Like, why do I feel this way? What are you trying to tell me? I think that is such an excellent point and so, so good that people could really start doing today if they're feeling something, just having that curiosity and getting that self-awareness of, you know, wondering like, what is really going on here? Can I, can I look at this from a bigger picture, from a bird's eye view, or maybe look at myself or my 
my symptom as another character with its own identity um, because it does. It's not us. And I think that's a big problem too, where people take it on. And this is me. This is another aspect of me when it's not. It, it We could separate ourselves and release that resistance and let in, let the healing come in that much yes. quicker. Yes. I, I think I, I first heard from the, the Headspace app, not to, not to, you know, that I'm advertising here or something, but uh, that's, that's what I started using after my brain injury is, as a significant um, adjunct to my recovery. And that's where I first heard about this, that expression that like, uh, you know, I am not my thoughts or my feelings, mm -hmm. which is kind of what I was practicing all along, but I'd never heard it put in that way. And right. Yeah. I, and, and I think what we're talking about, the relationship that we have with these things that are going on in our lives, it, it very much applies to brain injury as well. It applies to when we our symptoms kind of flare up and manifest of chronic pain, chronic illness. There, there can be a tendency, and I say this because I've met people that live this. I've lived it to when, when these things start to creep up to go, oh, shoot. This, this is going to mean X, Y, and Z for me. This is going to be X, Y, and Z for my day, my week. How long is this going to last? Oh, my God, I'm never going to get better. Or woe is me. I, I, I'm saying that. It, it sounds like I'm, I'm kind of making light of it. I'm, I'm not. Um, it, it can really get us and get people spiraling. Um, but by the same virtue that I was talking about, some of these other kind of mood disorders, quote unquote, um, we could easily take an approach of, of examining the relationship we have with those things too. Because I think ultimately, I know for me, when my symptoms flare up, that's also my body going, okay, you got to pay attention to this now. And you got to make some adjustments to how you've been going about your day. Either you've been like, you've been pushing it too hard you haven't been taking enough breaks or whatever the case may be. So I think that's, that's a crucial part here. And if, if people want, there's, there's a, also a, another article on my website called redefining your relationship with, with chronic pain and illness. And, and the premise is, yeah, if, if these things are really not adversarial, if, if these really are in a way friends, to us that are that are letting us know they're they're our barometer of letting us know something's going on that we need to pay attention to well think about it if if one of your friends maybe you weren't expecting them to show up at your house but if they showed up at your house unexpectedly how would you greet them would you slam the door in their face and try to push them away and get away as far as possible or would you have a little bit of a different approach? And so that's trying to get people to to consider that there's there's a way to relate to their experiences in a similar fashion. Mm -hmm. I love the way you put that. And it, what you said at the very beginning too, of um, when a symptom comes on, then what do you think? Do you think, oh gosh, now I feel this. Now I'm going to feel this. And now I'm going to be like this for days. And now I'm not going to be able to do this. It's so interesting because um, just recently I started catching a cold, the common cold, a sore throat, started with a little tickle. And then I was like, oh my gosh, 
here we go again. I'm going to be sick. I'm going to miss my interview because I have a lot of interviews coming up for my book launch. I'm, like, I'm not going to be able yeah. to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. Um, and then I started really looking, okay, whoa, hang on a second. So I started turning to a lot of meditation, a lot of tapping and a lot of like self-examination to be like, what is it that I believe? And a lot of the tapping meditations, it was to look at like, what is the story that you're telling yourself? Is it a story mm -hmm. that you get three colds every winter? Is it a story that, you know, you're doing so much for people? Is it a story of once you get sick, you're down for the count? Like, what is it? And so it was so interesting for me to really start bringing all of those beliefs to light um, and seeing that, oh my gosh, it's so true. As soon as I see someone has a sniffle, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get sick now. And then I start getting sick. I'm like, oh my God, I have it too. Here we go. And it's just the story that I'm telling myself in my head. And I really believe that what we believe to be true for ourselves is what we're going to experience. Absolutely. And we're almost self-creating it. Or I was in that case, you know, I yeah. lifted up those beliefs and, you know, I, I, I don't have a cold anymore. It went away in like a day and a half. I'm, it was amazing. Wow. <laughs> Well, you know, to that effect, I, I've also had the experience where, you know, I was in the midst of, of having this experience in this bad headache. <laughs> just for fun, I tried out this similar exercise where I said, okay, what is the story that I'm telling myself right now about this headache and about why I have this headache? And yeah, I, I kid you not, it, it like, it took a chunk of the pain and just dissolved it. It wasn't like magically gone, but like instantly the, the, level of pain just kind of like rolled back a little bit mm -hmm. and also i was going to say about you know the common cold even um maybe that's our body's way of saying we need to just kind of slow down and take some time for yourself like i was going to say how many people do you know that the only time they get to like take some time for themselves is when they get sick and so like getting sick i, I mean i don't know about you i know a whole bunch of therapists that like when they get sick it's like cherished time because it's like, the, it's the only time they stop and turn inward a little bit and kind of fill their bucket. Yeah, that's so true. And then it's a little disappointed at the end because it's like, you took this time for you, but you weren't feeling the greatest. Why not take some time for yourself when you are feeling good so you can actually enjoy it and make productive time for yeah. yourself, something of your enjoyment. Well, yeah, and you just touched on something. I'm, I'm curious if you relate to this. There was this part of my recovery. And again, I, I, I even, I, I wonder if I should use that word sometimes because uh, it, it was it was always about, it was never about getting better. It was because I was already me. I was already good. I'm me, I'm not changing. Mm -hmm. My circumstances may change. So it wasn't about getting better because I'm already good. It was about it was about getting stronger. And so that's how I was able to approach everything that I did. But eventually over time, I did start to get stronger. And I did get to a point where it was like, okay, it's time to start thinking about reintroducing some normalcy in my life and some normal routine and normal behavior and thinking back to, you know, getting back to work a little bit and and as much as that was 
always the hope. That was perhaps the biggest sadness that I experienced over the, the, the whole expansive period of, of recovery was like, now what do I do? Like this period of time is coming to an end and it's time to get back to normal and it's time to get back into the rat race and it's time for like this transition to happen. And that was tough. And I think precisely for the reason that we talked about with, you know, someone taking some time for themselves when they get a cold, it was like this period of time where everything slowed down and priority was just on health and well-being. And there was no distractions from that. There was no competing demands. And so for that to end, it was almost like that became such a cherished, unique, unique, unique time. Who, who gets to have that time for, for months on end where the only priority is just focusing on, on their health and well-being? Mm -hmm. So that was tough. That was maybe the toughest part. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I had three years of recovery where mm -hmm. it was just focused on me all the time. And, um, you know, even during that time, I found meditation was so much easier doing that folk because it really was me. I didn't really have to worry about anything else, just like my mm -hmm. recovery. But then, like you say, what I say, when I was reintroduced into society, when I came back and started working and all, then all of that started coming back. You yeah. know, I used to, I did a psych, say, um, psychology assessment and I was told that um, my theta brainwaves were too much. As soon as I closed my eyes, I'm in theta right away, meditation mode. Um, that was during the peak of my recovery. It is most definitely not <laughs> the case right now because I am like beta wave, like turned on, you know, looking at everything and I got so much going on. And yeah, so yeah. it, it is just so different, you know, and to term it the rat race when you get back into it. Um, it's such a different shift. And I have to tell myself, slow down, <laughs> take some time, take some time for yourself. You know, I feel like even having experienced what we experienced, it's so easy even just to get those memories almost like overwritten as you get kind mm -hmm. of consumed in everyday life. Absolutely. There's, there's no doubt about it that, that some of those things that I was doing, that I was engaging in, that I was really identifying with. Yeah. Over the course of, of a, a week, a month, a, a year, and you're in your back in your regular routines, you start to get separated from some of those things. Which the good thing about that is we can always catch it and we can always bring ourselves back and we can reconnect and, and you know in a in a more purposeful way. But yeah, we we get disconnected from these things over time. Mm -hmm. you, you'd like to think like now that we've gone through it, it's just always there. And we're always gonna be that's just just how we go forward in life. But unfortunately, you know, we get taken all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not at all. It's not, it's something that you have to strengthen within you. I think just like, you know, you go to the gym to strengthen your muscles and everything, like your mindset and your way of looking at your life, your perspective, all of that, that has to be, you know, a daily reminder too. And something that you work on daily, you, you never, 
it's kind of just like what I said at the very beginning of this podcast too. You're never just going to get there. You always have to, to continue. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This has been so great. Can, can you tell everybody where they can find you if they want to learn more? Yeah. So, um, my, my website, uh, the, the name of my practice, even though it's just me, <laughs> I named it anyways. Uh, you can, you can type in the words in tune counseling. Um, yes, it's a, it's a play on the music metaphor. Um, in tune counseling is where you can find me and, uh, yeah, feel free to peruse the, uh, the articles on the website. There's also a link on that website to my podcast, which is who's your therapist, which, um, I don't know if there's a, an opportunity to, to plug it, but it's, it's, it's me kind of confronting this idea as a therapist that like everyone's, everyone else around me i'm talking about like my peers and my colleagues everyone else seems to look like they have their life together or their 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 crap figured out how come i don't feel like that and so it was kind of like this this journey to like interview therapists to know what's actually going on in their lives and and to kind of bridge that gap a little bit more between therapists and people who are seeking therapy that um, we're we're all kind of on this mission or, or this ongoing project where we're struggling with things and we're grappling with things and we're growing and evolving and working and we're not all that different. And so um, people can check that out as well. It's called Who's Your Therapist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a powerful topic. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, I got an image of... Um, Oh my gosh. And now I'm losing it, <laughs> but like not a throne, a pedestal, a pedestal, because I am someone too, where, you know, everyone used to be put on a pedestal before me. And I would think, Oh my God, they haven't made. And they, and I think of myself and, you know, my recovery and going even to see my social worker, Oh my gosh, pedestal, like what they're telling me, like, I need to apply it to my life because I don't know any better. And, you know, he's like, what can they teach me? Because I'm, I'm at a lesser. And I feel like, what you're sharing on your podcast is really humanizing everybody. Like we're all the same. We don't have to put anybody on a pedestal. Like we're all equal and we can all learn from each other. Everybody, you know, has their own unique experiences. Nobody's perfect. So I'm curious, can you, can you tell me how much do you learn from your clients? Like, is it a, you know, a reciprocity kind of relationship where, Sometimes the conversations that you have with your clients, you're like, whoa, aha moment, even for me. Mm -hmm. I, I would say I'm, I, I learn things always and I'm inspired always by my clients. And I, I operate very much from the assumption that if I was in their shoes, if I was in their life circumstances, I might not be doing a, as good a job as they are. And so there, there's first, there's that inherent respect for what they're bringing to the table. And, and that's how I think of it. There's like, you know, I have my own training. Therapists have their own training and experience, and that's what they bring to the table. But on the other end of that, people who are coming to seek 
consultation or, or guidance or counseling, they have this, this wealth of insider knowledge about themselves and their lives that nobody is more of an expert on. And so it's when you get to blend those two together that there's some real magic that can happen. And yes, I'm always inspired by my clients and the amount of times that we, we have gotten to some sort of outcome or some sort of like meaningful language or image to sort of ground the, the, the next part of the conversation in or, or to ground sort of what it looks like to move forward in, the amount of times that we get to that place and I go, there's no way I would ever have thought of coming up with that on my own or suggesting that to someone. It's it's this kind of collaborative storytelling, shared language, shared experience, where you get to places that you could never imagine. To me, it's like every, every conversation I get to have with, with people, there's an opportunity for magic to happen. And that's part of what sustains me in my job. It's part of what I love about my job. Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's maintaining that state of wonder, like you were saying, and just expecting that there could be magic anywhere if you're open mm -hmm. to, to seeing it and receiving it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you Absolutely. so much, Ari. This has been, oh my gosh, so much good information filled in here. I, I love it. Thank you for everything that you've shared. I'm also going to be sharing all of your, your links to your website and the podcast in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. And Wonderful. this has been such a great time with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I had a great time doing this. That was such a great call. I would love to hear your takeaways and any aha moments you had. If you feel called, please consider leaving a review to let me know all about them. Here are today's self-empowerment takeaways. One, laughter is a strong medicine. If you haven't already, can you invite a healthy form of humor into your life? Studies show that laughter releases feel-good chemicals in the brain, helps to relax the body, boosts the immune system, protects the heart, and even burns calories. Humor can also help us cope and provide us with some relief in negative experiences. Two, give yourself grace. Life's a journey of ups and downs. Allow yourself to feel what you're feeling without getting angry or stressed out because you're not feeling the way you feel you should be feeling. <laughs> Stop shooting all over yourself and allow yourself to just be. Three, release any resistance. We can't experience a release of anything if we aren't willing to let it go. Instead of resisting something, get curious about it. For example, if you're feeling anxious, well, that's a fear-based response. And instead of resisting the fear, can you recognize that fear is only here as an attempt to keep you safe? Four, pay attention to the story you're telling yourself. When a symptom comes on, do you send your thoughts on a downward spiral making you feel even worse? Can you instead get clear on the story you're telling yourself and decide if it's time to make any changes to the narrative? Five, just do it. If something really excites you and inspires you, why wait? And six, treat every day and every experience as a once in a lifetime experience because that's really the truth of it. You can find all links in the show notes of this episode. Thank you.
Thank you for being here. I hope you got just as much value out of today's episode as I did. If you feel called, please share this episode with someone who you feel would benefit from the conversations we had. It's going to help us reach more people. And this is one way that we can all help empower each other from the inside out.